0: Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 2, Episode 8. Today, we are launching our year-long First Law Read-Along with the blade itself by joe
1: abercrombie it's better to do it than to live with the fear of it
0: (laughs) i'm excited we're finally doing this this is my first well and we'll get into like i think i think we'll talk probably about like our history with the series what this is for any listeners who haven't read them yet hopefully you've read it we will do a little bit of a non-spoiler section we'll we'll tell you how we're gonna how we're gonna split it up but yeah we're at the plate itself this was my first reread liana What was this for you? This is number five. (laughs) Your fifth time reading it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe we could talk a little bit about our history with the series. And if you want to give people kind of an introduction to like, what is the first law trilogy? Why should they read it? hopefully if they're listening to this episode they know what it is
1: or have maybe read the first book but maybe maybe they haven't so so they should read it because it's amazing uh (laughs) joe Abercrombie's my lord and savior (laughs) um (laughs) um, but uh it is it's a grimdark series i mean uh joe Abercrombie, if not the first person to write grimdark he's kind of something of like an og in the grimdark space and has fashioned himself lord grimdark on twitter (laughs) uh a bit tongue-in-cheek and uh his it's the in essence, the first law trilogy was him taking a traditional fantasy arc, fantasy tropes, fantasy archetypes, and just kind of subverting, twisting, and kind of crapping all over them. <laughs> so that's kind of the project of the trilogy. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting trilogy. And I know
0: you really love them. I like I well, okay. This was interesting for me because I think the first time I read The Blade itself. I think this was my least favorite book in the trilogy, and I generously gave it four and a half stars, but looking back,
1: I think- Because it was you wanted me. to save our friendship. <laughs>
0: because I wanted to save our friendship, so I couldn't just give it the actual four stars I thought it deserved. But on a reread, I liked it a lot better, and I feel like it actually deserves four and a half stars for me. Um, I mean, the very
1: first time that I read it was years and years ago, and I had mm-hmm. no idea. Like, not even the intro that I just gave it. I was like, this is a fantasy book. That's literally all I know about it. I had never read Grimdark before. And I was like, this, I cannot say is badly written, like from a craft, you know, quality of prose standpoint. I was like, this is well executed, but like, why? Why would anybody wish to subject themselves to this? I was like, like, if I didn't rate books back then. I just like mm-hmm. read books. If I had rated it, it probably would have been like three. Cause I was like, you know, you, it can't say you you're a bad writer, but just but why? <laughs> And then years later, I started reading darker things and everyone kept saying, well, the best in the biz is Joe Abercrombie. And I was like, I remember not liking that, but also I was quite different back then. So I don't know, Mm -hmm. maybe I would think differently now. So then I I read it it again uh, and I was like, oh, this is actually totally my jam, but I still only gave it four stars. I was like, it's it's a bit meandering, but like I'm definitely into this vibe where Mm -hmm. I wasn't before. And then I finished the trilogy and again reread The Blade itself, this time having seen where it all goes. And I think upon the third read, either the third or fourth read, I finally bumped it up to five stars where I was like, well, I've read this so many times. I feel like it deserves a five because, like, I keep coming back to it.
0: Fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And one thing I think we should say for people listening, because we say grim dark, surprisingly, this book
1: isn't doesn't feel that dark or bleak. I mean, it does get dark. It, it, well, I feel like if you're not expecting dark, like the, my first time reading it, yeah. it's quite dark. But if right. you go into it being like, this is written by Lord Grimdark himself, mm-hmm. this is it's it's not the grimmest or the darkest thing that no. I've ever read by any stretch. Well, and often it's
0: got kind of a light touch to it. It's got a lot of well, it's a it's humor. A, I was going to
1: say, a lot of gallows humor to yeah. kind of like balance that out.
0: Yeah, which I think works really well. I really enjoyed my reread of it. I do think that once you have read the entire trilogy, it it's a very rereadable book and it's an enjoyable book to reread for a lot of reasons, which we'll we'll kind of get into some of that later, I know. But I do think on a first read it is, it's meandering, why are we spending all this time with some of these random characters? Why halfway through the book are you suddenly introducing a new POV that I care nothing about before I know who they are with Fair? That was how I felt, I think, the first time around. Yeah, I felt and... too. <laughs> I was like, Who is this? And why do I feel yeah, like why why do I care? Why are we suddenly getting and the she, for,
1: Not only is she introduced quite late, she also seems to be, she becomes connected to the other characters. But mm-hmm. it, for a large chunk of it, after she's introduced, she seems so utterly disconnected to what's going on in any other perspective that you're right. like, okay, like, forget whether or not this is interesting. Just how on earth does this tie in at all to what mm-hmm. the other stuff is that you've been telling me? And then, right. I mean, then it does, but it takes a while in getting there.
0: Yeah, so I think as a first book in a series, this is not the most successful, in my opinion, which because... Joanne probably himself admits. Right, right. Which you have this great interview. We'll we'll link it in the show notes or in the video description. Uh, Leanna got to interview Lord Grimdark himself. It was a fantastic interview, and he he did talk about this, which I thought was pretty pretty interesting. It because the the fact that you have to reread this after reading the the. The whole trilogy. You don't
1: have to, but it is more enjoyable if you know where everything ends up going. I
0: think, yeah, no. I mean, what I what I was going to say with it was just that, like, the fact that to get the most out of it, you have to reread it upon rereading the entire trilogy. Like, I think does mean, you know, it could be more successful as a first book in a series, but it still does a lot of things. I mean, I did still give it four and a half stars, so it's not like. Not perfect, but it has a lot going for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, as he said in the interview, like he, his mindset or like what he was kind of going for versus kind of how that actually turned out when, when people were picking this up was he was very much into sort of noir storytelling and he hadn't really seen that done in fantasy. And okay. in noir, you kind of start in different places, you kind of don't know who the people are, and then it kind of all becomes clear to you late, much later. And then there's a sort of like the big reveal at the end. And doing that over a fantasy trilogy like he's there's kind of a reason that he's done that (laughs) that people don't usually do yeah so like that was kind of what he was thinking and like that he that is what he did Mm -hmm. (laughs) it does sort of more mirror that kind of storytelling yeah and but by equally i feel like since it is so successful on a reread i feel like as the author you always know where this is going to go and to kind Mm -hmm. of like to try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody that doesn't know and to try to understand how, like, I don't think you yourself, knowing where this is going, knowing how many things you're setting up, I don't think it would be easy to recognize that this is going to feel meandering if you don't know. I just, right. you know, like, because you can't not know because you're the author.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess that's hard, especially if you're a new author and you haven't really had a lot of experience with this, which was this his first book?
1: Yeah, this was his debut novel, which again, whenever like I mean, I was like, as a debut novel, as a debut novel, (laughs) it's pretty impressive. So, (laughs) yeah, like as the first book in a series, you know, is it perfect? No, but like again, when you when you he his uh his voice is so strong, and his Mm -hmm. you really feel like he has a sense of like this is his style, this is what he's trying to do with it. So it's quite a confident book for a a first book. (laughs) It is well, and I think
0: the characters he writes, some of them in particular, are just
1: really really good and you know now which again be- is kind of like i never would have thought of it that way but him saying that noir was kind of his mindset i think noir is also more about just sort of like doing these sort of deep dives into these shady characters and yeah. that's kind of what he does
0: yeah no it's true and of course you know we're <laughs> we, we could get into our favorite character <laughs> sandan glachta
1: my book sandan
0: glachta uh He's so great. I just, uh, I love him so much. He's hilarious. He which again, if If
1: someone is just reading the series for the first time and they've heard you say, Oh, Glockta, he's so great. Then they're going to read his first <laughs> chapter and be like, um, do I need to call the authorities? Are you okay? <laughs> Cause, uh, <laughs> is this the same Glockta? Is there a different Glockta? <laughs> oh my gosh. It, fair point. So we, I guess we
0: should say Glockta is a torturer so you know he's not he's not but mainly,
1: a hero. he's just a jaded civil servant who's he had it is? with everybody yeah
0: that's exactly it and he's hilarious like the difference between the dialogue in his head versus the dialogue he says out loud is hysterical because he's he's very respectful because he has to be
1: but in his head he's well, I mean, super he's snarky like, he toes the company line yes. but in his mind like that's why he's i think so relatable and why people yeah. really um kind of latch on to him and identify with him because mm-hmm. while none of us hopefully are torturers we've all sort of or for the most we've even if, not necessarily corporate world but all of us have been in a situation where like it's some kind of a formal thing, something where people expect something of school situations, job situations, you know, maybe extended family situations where you like have to smile and play nice and play the game. But yep. inside you're seething and you think everybody's an idiot and you you can't ha- you, like believe that you're having to put up with this and that they're in charge of something. Mm-hmm. Like So his internal monologue when he's faced with the people in charge and the bureaucracy and what he's asked to do, we've all... Not specifically, again, with torture, but we've all been there. Oh, we've been there, yeah, in one way or another. It's like even if it's
0: just working as a barista with a difficult customer, <laughs> you know?
1: I mean, or even just, tough. like, watching the news and seeing, you know, politicians that you feel mm-hmm. like are, you know, you're like, oh, you're you're such a liar. You're so full of crap. Yeah. Hey, how are you in charge? You're so dumb. How did... Do- my taxes pay like everyone's like thought those kinds of things but like, you don't yeah. say them at least not to that person right if you're ever confronted with them
0: yeah and i think that's that's what makes his dialogue just gold i also think he's such an interesting character because he was tortured himself he's very very disabled like severely disabled well, and i think people
1: often imagine him and a lot of fan art makes him look very old but he's in his he's 30s like 30. he's like yeah, yeah. Yeah. but he has the body of like an 80 year old curmudgeon
0: right <laughs> and i i just think it's interesting because he had this history of being you know this young handsome swordsman who women were into and now has been very broken by going through two years of torture
1: because he was and a I, prisoner of war
0: right he was a prisoner of war i just think it makes him such an interesting character and i have heard some people say because i was I've, I've talked to a couple of people who are themselves disabled who love him as a character because he's not like you, you don't necessarily feel sorry for him that much and he's not like inspiration porn
1: definitely <laughs> <a> dis- not <laughs> no <laughs>
0: But he's got nuance and he's a fully fleshed out character, which I think is is great to have. And I don't know if Abercrombie Well, I've Abercrombie had was...
1: a, a good time with... I mean, in general, I've had a good time rereading the Song of Ice and Fire books. But also, the first time I read the Song of Ice and Fire books, I don't... I might have read The Blade itself before that. But, you know, I, I didn't really love it and didn't stick with me. But now, because I obviously like live and breathe first law, so it's like always on my mind. And rereading Song of Ice and Fire and knowing what a huge fan Joe Abercrombie is of Song of Ice and Fire, like literally that's what inspired him to go oh fantasy doesn't have to be heroes doing heroic things fantasy can be dark fantasy can be realistic it can be grim mm-hmm. and he was like oh okay <laughs> and then took that and ran with it so like we kind of have george r, r. martin to thank for first law indirectly but That being said, I've had kind of a fun time looking at the Song of Ice and Fire characters and sort Mm -hmm. of being like, I feel like Joe Abercrombie lifted a little, or at least his love of maybe this particular aspect of it kind of shines through. Because, I mean, your inspirations show, like a lot of sci-fi, you'll be like, oh, this sounds like Book of the New Sun. This sounds like Dune. So I feel like there's a lot of Tyrion in Galacta. Mm.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, I just think he's such a standout character. And I know the first time I read this... He was by far the highlight of the book for me. I, yeah, I just, I adore Glockta so much. And continue to throughout the trilogy. I think though, in terms of my second favorite perspective, I have an unpopular opinion. (laughs) Well, do you share with the class? So I actually really enjoy Giselle's perspective.
1: I think by the end, I really liked Giselle, but not in
0: the first. I liked him from like book one. And I actually was kind of bored with Logan's perspective. I enjoyed it a lot more on a reread. I think by the end of the trilogy, I cared more about Logan and I liked him more. And I think now going back and reading his stuff, I'm like, okay, I can see why this matters and this is interesting. But for me, I was always much more. I found Giselle funny like because I was like this dude is ridiculous yeah, and I always was... got a kick out of him and I loved Artie and desperately wanted <laughs> a perspective I wanted desperately wanted her to be a POV character
1: yeah I mean it also would have helped with the sort of numbers <laughs> they're all on the dudes except Pharaoh <laughs> right right <laughs> but, which I appreciate
0: uh... that Joe Abercrombie has tried to uh, you know apparently correct course correct um in some well, of I the mean, as you books. said, like,
1: it was just sort of thoughtless assumptions born of just being in a misogynistic and, and patriarchal world where he's writing a fantasy book. A lot of the fantasy archetypes that he is commenting on are dudes. Like, if you're if you're taking Lord of the Rings and trying to subvert that, they're all dudes. So, like, in that sense, he kind of it's inescapable. And then there's also just sort of you as the writer being like, OK, well, so then who is this character interacting with? That's probably also a dude. And then who are they connected with? Also a dude. And you just kind of like accidentally end mm. up with this extremely male-centric world by kind of default and he's kind of commenting on the default so it's again kind of almost inescapable but i know like he to some degree he like that was always going to have to be at least some some part of the way the case but mm-hmm. he himself has you know regretted not having slightly more uh female representation in the his yeah. older books
0: yeah, I I do think I would love it if he ever published something from R.D.'s perspective, because I just think she's such a fascinating character and I really well, I love mean, her.
1: I specifically asked him, I was like, why did not why did we not get a perspective from R.D.? And he, that's basically I mean, one was, you know, everyone's kind of a dude in this dude centric world. And then right. he uh, <laughs> I was the one that kind of uh, <laughs> threw shade on Song of Ice and Fire. And he was like, I will not comment on that. <laughs> But because um, he was like, I think you have to have some discipline as an author. You pick your perspectives and you stick with them and that yeah. you don't want to just like expand, 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 because then where are you? Like, who are the characters you're meant to care about? Who right. is this story about? So he yeah. kind of picked his, his POVs and like, that was it. Like, he just like mm-hmm. stuck with those and um, should R.D. have been one of them? He was like, maybe. But like at the time, he just was like, it didn't occur to him that she like, she wasn't doing anything for his plot. Like. Didn't do serve a purpose in that sense of the story he was telling that she would need to be. And it just like didn't occur to him. Like he didn't choose not to. It didn't occur to him that she should be or could be <laughs> yeah
0: no it's interesting i you know i don't know if he plans to ever do this but if he were ever to go back and write like novellas or something in this world i maybe... know like he
1: probably wouldn't but there's lots of fanfic of i know i know i would love to see that like filling in some of the gaps but i just Which i so just like love her i think she's so i kind of like gave him more credit than and i was like i told him i was like i guess i was giving you too much credit and he was like yes you were Because there's uh, this is getting into the second book, but um, without it's not very spoilery, just that like she's not in it very much because like Mm -hmm. the the people that are perspective characters aren't near and around her very much. And so, because of that, then you just don't see her. Right. Um, But like, I was wondering if we didn't get her perspective because the place that she is in, then you don't have eyes on because like that's Uh, why, you know, and so I was like, did you intentionally want us to like not have eyes on this part of your world while everyone was away? And he was like, nope, I just it just didn't occur to me to make her a character. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of a bummer
0: because I did miss that I think in book two. I was like, Artie, because she was she was my my second favorite character, and then you get none of her.
1: And that, I mean that being said, considering that she's not a POV character, I sometimes kind of forget that she's Mm -hmm. not actually a POV character because she's in it quite a bit because she interacts with a lot of our POV characters.
0: She does. And she's an interesting, complex person, which I also appreciate. I think that's something I look for also when I'm reading fantasy written by male authors, because there are some authors who have a tendency to write female characters who feel like stereotypes or feel like they're primarily just propping up the plot of the male protagonist and i you know i appreciate it when we see somebody who doesn't do that where they feel like they have their own intentions yeah
1: well this is where i feel like i mean that's just how he approaches all characters like none of them ever feel like caricatures he Mm -hmm. just uh, approaches every single character as a human being who has had life experiences that would inform how they behave and he just kind of tries to understand who they each are as a human and then write that be they a male or a female young or old brave or you know villainous like he just tries to get in the head of who this person is and then write right. that
0: yeah and i think he does a good job with it it's it's uh... i feel like that's why people always praise him for <laughs> his character work his character work is fantastic you know the plotting in the blade itself first time through it's slow it's meandering you don't know where it's going yeah. uh, i can i can see why it could be frustrating for people and i think what really carried it for me the first time the was the characters rereading it after having finished the trilogy it's completely different because then what you're doing is you're picking up on all of the clues and the Easter there eggs and the lot. hints. Oh, there's so many like constantly, he's constantly
1: signposting. It goes from feeling like a book. That's kind of like a lot, like a lot of quite interesting, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and realize, Oh, it's, it's filled to the brim. It's, it's bursting with like detail that you just have no way of knowing is important. <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> there's so much that you miss because you just have no, Which, way again, way is know. why,
1: like, I feel like if you're the author, you know how much, like foreshadowing or cramming in there and it'd be hard to look at it with like a tabula rasa perspective of like okay how would this read to me if I didn't know everything that I do know right it would would be impossible
0: well and I guess that's where you need you need beta readers you need people who don't know what you're doing who to be like okay
1: (laughs) that's cool and all but where is any of this going (laughs) (laughs) like what is the point of all of this (laughs) which I feel like I mean in addition to the character work being what kind of like carries you through and keeps you Mm. keeps you going I think there is enough where like you you don't have a sense of where this is going but you do have questions that you would like answered Mm -hmm. because there is a sense of a sort of overarching mystery that like you don't even really have any sense of what questions you should be asking yet but you're like I think I have questions (laughs) I think I want answers (laughs) (laughs) I mean you that's where I feel like you also latch on to Glockta not just as a well-written character, but that's how Glockta feels. Like he is the reader because he has all this stuff going on around him. And he's like, I don't know what's going on, but I know but something, something is going is. on. Something's up. <laughs> and so like, that's how yeah. you feel as a reader. You're like, I don't know what's going on. But yeah, Glockta, I agree. Some- something's up. <laughs> Let's figure it out. <laughs> yep. No, I agree.
0: I'm trying to figure out like at what point we want to let ourselves talk trilogy spoilers because we're trying to keep it... I mean, I feel like to this point, we've kept things pretty spoiler free, even for people the first well, time. I mean,
1: we can do spoilers just for this book uh, okay. in terms of Logan, because uh, yeah. I was trying to say something to what you said, and then I was like, that's yeah. kind of spoilery for this book.
0: Okay, let's say that. So at this point, we're going to move into spoilers just for the Blade itself, and then maybe at the end, we'll do a few things talking about spoilers of things we noticed for having the entire trilogy, yeah. having read the entire trilogy, because <laughs> we don't want to... For those of you reading through this with us for the first time, we don't want to spoil you. You can always come back and listen to the last part of these episodes later.
1: But yeah, so, but just spoilers for just the blade itself. So if you read the first book, um, I kind of uh, earlier when Bethany was saying that like the first time she read it, Logan, like didn't impress her very much. Wasn't very interested in Logan's perspective. And I feel like it's once again, one of those things where like, I don't, I mean, I guess there's a better way to do it, but it's almost intentional because he pulls the rug out from under you in terms of Logan because mm. what you hear about him all of the time is from other people or just from him generally how he kind of is seems regretful that he was a violent man and that he's done violent, horrible things. But you never see it. Your introduction to his character is the most bland Joe Schmoe who's like, just trying to do the right thing. I don't want to know what's happening. Don't mm. tell me your biz. I don't want to just just trying to <laughs> keep the straight and narrow as much as I can. Which, yeah. like it's kind of a trick on Abercrombie's part to introduce you to this character at this point and to not, you've heard he does things, but you've never seen it. Yeah. And like people have reputations, but that, you know, you never know. Like you, you've heard about it, but people are like, Oh, he's just clearly misunderstood. And then like when West makes a joke, we're like, Oh, nine fingers. You're not that one that was like, they sing songs about you, like drinks blood and whatever. Ha ha ha. And Logan's like, yeah, that's not me. Ha ha ha. Even though it's definitely him. That's and like tough. you feel for Logan where he's like, oh, poor guy living under the shadow of this like ridiculous reputation. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the book, the bloody nine comes out and you're like, oh my God, he actually is worse than any of those stories made him out to be. Yeah. And I feel like it's, he kind of lulls you into Logan. You're like, oh, his perspectives are like interesting because Bias is saying some interesting stuff. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, silent guy. He's like your average stereotypical, like strong man, strong, silent type. And then at the end is when you're like, Oh my god. But I think by doing it that way, if you knew about the Bloody Nine from the beginning, you'd never be able to sympathize or identify with Logan's character. But yeah. because you had that chance to like get to know him as this kind of like benign teddy bear, that even when you do see the Bloody Nine, that later when this is like shaking up everybody, you still do you remember how you felt about him at first and you still yeah. kind of trust him and you still kind of root for him and you're like I know the Bloody Nine. I know. <laughs> And it is, but <laughs> no, he was just big old Logan. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And I think it's, I, I think it's a smart way of doing it. One thing that I find fascinating is I've heard from a lot of people that they hated Giselle's perspective and really liked Logan's perspective from the, from the first time they I mean, read it. That
1: was the most outright offensive.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, but he's so He's just so dumb.
1: Yeah. I, and, and he, he's, he, you know, he's. Well, it's also, I feel like these, I mean, these books in general, but then also particularly Log. i uh, sorry, Giselle's perspectives is, I feel like a good example of like, we get into conversations about authors. It seems like an author's condoning some kind of behavior. And then mm-hmm. people will be like, it's fiction. Don't you know? These are just their characters. But yeah. I think it can, which is what we talk about. You can kind of tell the way the authors framed it, if they're framing it as something that is okay or not. Right. And Abercrombie does a great job of showing you characters where they think what they're doing is okay. Very much so. Like, you're not having characters who constantly think to themselves, oh, what I did, that was not okay. No, they think it's fine. Yeah. But it's yeah. clear to the reader that we're not meant to think that that's fine. Yes, exactly. And I think Giselle
0: is exactly that. And so I get that he, he, rub, he seems to rub a lot of people the wrong way. I just, from the beginning, found him really entertaining because I was like, oh, oh, I know who you are. Like, you're the dumb fuck was well, also like, <laughs> like that's basically of all is. the
1: characters he's probably the one that you have without i mean like we talked about how glock like you've been that but like you've never known a torturer and like logan i mean you've probably you've never known a logan you've seen that character in film but like giselle you've known that guy like oh. literally that guy 100 <laughs> percent. yeah so, yeah which is might be also why people find him so distasteful because he's too familiar everyone else is like a character from a book but giselle you're like I literally know you. I like you went to my school. You mm-hmm. are at my workplace. I hate you. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I think part of what I why I loved Artie so much though is because of her interactions with him. Where I'm
1: like, I'm and like Giselle's Whoa. realization that and he's very slow in coming to this realization. And it's very funny when he of you're like, Oh, good job, slow clap for the dummy. When he's like, She hates me. <gasps> And you're like, yeah. yeah, she's made that very clear. And he's like, yeah. and that's what I'm into. <laughs> you're like, oh boy.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is what I think makes Artie really interesting. Artie also, she has this quality. She's a different character in some ways, but it, in there are certain things about her that remind me a bit of Denna,
1: From who England. I also love. I assume you don't mean the Denna of Wizards First Rule. <laughs> <laughs> no no am i saying the right thing they're both called denna
0: they're both denna right i'm like am i crazy right now <laughs> Because saying, no you want to be clear oh about which denna. i want to be clear yes thank you denna from the name of the wind it's like when you said that i was like it is denna isn't it? <laughs> yes, they're it both is. denna thank you. thank you uh yes no i mean uh denna from the name of the wind there's like there are certain things I feel like they have in common as characters. I, was like, I feel like she's
1: the more vulgar, brash, mm-hmm. outspoken, <laughs> yes. older, more jaded version of Dana. Yeah, basically. Basically. Well, speaking of, I was going to say what we were talking about whether or not this is grimdark, and I mean it. Obviously, I, I don't think there's any debate about whether it qualifies to be categorized as grimdark. It does, hundred yeah. percent. But in terms of how grim it is or how dark it is, I feel like more than anything, it's just very jaded and cynical. And yeah. so like, I mean, it doesn't, th- yes, there's violence in it and, and there's dark things, there's blood, you know, Clock does mm-hmm. a torture, but it never really like lingers on those things. It mm-hmm. kind of shows you enough to like, this is what happens. It doesn't gloss over it by any means. Like it shows no. you those things, but like the, the feeling you come away from is really just quite cynical. And yeah. so it's not like tons of just like wading through torture porn. It's not just like wallowing in all the blood and gore. Like, it's not interested in doing that. Like there's blood, there is gore. Because mm-hmm. there would need to be for this story to go the way that it does, but it yeah. doesn't like really indulge in that,
0: right? No, I think it, you said it exactly right. That's and I think that's interesting. It it comes across as more just kind of straightforward, realistic in a fantasy I was world. Say, like-
1: not to quote Logan Ninefingers the whole night, but you have to be realistic is kind of the vibe <laughs> the entire time. I mean, it kind of is. It's like, yep, this is this is what that world would be like.
0: And nothing is romanticized and I... Even it, the romance. Oh my gosh, even <laughs> the romance. It's not romanticized. It's not. And it only gets worse as we actually get sex scenes in later books. So, yeah. like, like, the most unappealing sex
1: <laughs> yep but also I, like I, it would be so out of place for you to suddenly get like the mountains shook with our star exploding orgasm oh type of, of, course. Well, <laughs> no, of, of course well no of course
0: of course but it's not even like it doesn't even choose neutral adjectives it chooses like gross adjectives it you know describes I mean? it
1: the way that it describes any human bodies colliding in the books yeah i mean but it's uh
0: it's like every time I read an Abercrombie sex scene in this trilogy, I'm like, oh my god.
1: <laughs> squelching. Is so cool. Squelching
0: is the word. Well, I mean it's accurate, but like it's the 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 undertones. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. So I think do you have anything else that's not spoilery for the trilogy that you
1: want to talk about? Oh, um, yeah, actually I do think. This is because this is a character-centric book. I think one of the things that is a result of that, but isn't necessarily identified all of the time, mm-hmm. is how that shapes your uh, how the world is introduced to you. Because mm-hmm. characters are the focus and so you are only introduced to parts of the world that the characters are interested in. You never yeah. get these like lengthy info dumps of here's how everything looks and here's the history of where it came from and here's the how the cl- clothes look. Like it's always if the character would notice it, of the character would comment on it then you then you learn about it so for example you don't you get a little bit of how the Agriant looks from the perspectives of the people that live there because like what they're encountering like okay you kind of to get the sense of what they're encountering but it's only really when logan comes to the Agriant for the very first time he's never really been to like quote-unquote civilization he's come from like the upp- uppermost north where everything is a little more viking right and when he sh- when he shows up at the Agrion and is astounded bewildered and dismayed by <laughs> civilization that's when this all gets really described to you because mm-hmm. no one who lives there is going to be really thinking about how their city looks because they see it every day but mm-hmm. logan it's through his eyes that you really see how this city looks for the first time yeah which i think Oh, so we just we can't go this podcast without mentioning the part where they go to the costume shop because that is always my favorite scene every time it's I read right. it.
0: <laughs> it's really funny. I Well, and, and I think that's what's so interesting, right? Is this idea that like you don't need these outfits to be a wizard or a warrior or whatever, but it gives the vibe and makes you seem more legitimate to outside viewers.
1: When again, it very much is a commentary on how people believe they want they want to see what they expect to see and Mm -hmm. so like you you have as much credibility as your outward appearance uh emulates what the expectation is yeah so like if people are expecting to see a wizard in a in a cloak and a beard and whatever you know you're only going to be taken seriously as a wizard if you show up in a cloak and a beard and a staff and whatever so yeah it's it's very much commenting on perception versus reality which is interesting and just, it's I mean, fun. even before they go to the costume shop, the very first time Logan meets Bias, he makes the same mistake. He goes and he's like looking for this, you know, first of the magi. Mm-hmm. And he sees this guy who's like old and wise with a beard. And he's like, well, he certainly looks the part. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, I'm just a librarian over <laughs> here. And then strides Bias, <laughs> who's yeah. just his butcher. Yeah, And Logan is like, what? You don't look like a You don't look like a wizard. Magi. What? Yep. And I mean, that very similarly, Glockta later is like, well, no, you don't look any like, I guess you look kind of like the bald statue we have out there a bit. And then Bias does something with more authority. And is like, okay, you look a little more like the statue now. <laughs> I kind of see it. Right. Well,
0: which I think is interesting, right? That like, we, when we talk about historical figures or legendary figures, right, we focus on... These particular moments or parts of their lives and don't always think about the fact that people are also just regular people and they exist in other moments and yeah i don't know i think i do think it's interesting though because you know this is more meta i guess but we're living in a time where we probably do see bef- behind the curtain more than people ever have in the past as or much. at least
1: we want to believe that we do, or except we that to, yeah. everyone is also still very much manufacturing those images as well. I mean, that's true. It is still curated. But
0: we I guess we see like a closer, closer maybe. They just to... have to
1: manufacture a whole lot more to satisfy us. I mean, yeah with like tiktok and everything i don't know it's, what does i mean uh, like this is the similar to the shift that occurred around the time of kennedy where he knew how to curate his actual physical image for the television and so right. now is the next natural progression of that where not just for tv but for like literally all the time right
0: yeah it's uh it's definitely interesting it's a whole thing It. the other thing that when you said this it reminded me of is because i know on our channels we're doing this the reread of the sort of truth series by terry goodkind so i just did my reread of the wizard's first Rule, and it's funny because there is a moment in that book with zed who's a wizard <laughs> where you know richard finds out he's a, a wizard and is like wait but you don't look like a wizard like you don't have a beard and he's like oh should i have a beard but they're so scratchy and he's like okay i'll grow a beard so he like magically grows
1: a beard <laughs> now do i look the part now do but i, I mean- look like it yeah But also i mean sort of like if going back to kind of like how this stuff is explained and described to you it gives you the opportunity for more commentary because if you had the agriant described to you by giselle by Mm glock who live with it every day assume like well this is how a city looks like this is not only where i'm used to but this is just how things are Mm -hmm. it would you as the reader also probably quite urban or at least you're used to the idea of big cities especially like historical cities so if it was described to you you'd be like well yeah that's what's in a city like that but it's described to you again by logan Who's asking Baez, like, what is what is the deal? And, like, when he sees the soldiers coming either to... Going to or coming from the war. And they're, like, this scraggly, haggard bunch. And he's, like, those are their... Like, you're sending the, like, weakest, like, most poorly, most skinny, most haggard looking people to fight us? Like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. And then Baez points out the men in, like, red coats who have swords on. He's, like, well, those are also soldiers. And he's, like, I guess that's better. But they... Don't look especially effective either. <laughs> and like when it's all like said to you by somebody who's like fresh eyed looking at mm-hmm. this, you're like, yeah, probably not a great system. <laughs> you're not wrong. There yeah. might be a reason the yeah. North seems to be winning. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk
0: spoilers for the trilogy, but I'm going to save that to the very end part of the episode. So we're going to do On My Radar first, where we're going to talk about upcoming book releases and then. After that segment, for anybody who wants to keep listening, who has already read the trilogy or doesn't care about spoilers, we're going to talk for a few minutes about spoilery thoughts we had coming and rereading this book, knowing where the trilogy is going. So that should be fun. But hopefully this has been fun for first-time readers hearing it, talking about it. And i am uh, we're, we're definitely excited to to continue on with these. So On My Radar is where we will share recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance we're excited about. The books for today's episode will be released between January 25th and February 7th, 2022. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate if you would take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content with every episode, consider supporting us on patreon huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons including our world expanding patron trina you all make it possible for us to keep doing this you're amazing and uh i've got five books to talk about today that are coming up we've got a lot of great stuff coming out as we're heading into the the new year first up on january 25th we have something fabulous by alexis hall this is a historical rom-com by the author of boyfriend material it says it's a delightfully witty romance featuring a reserved duke who's betrothed to one twin and hopelessly enamored with the other so uh he is betrothed to the sister but uh into the brother (laughs) and What's he gonna do in historical England? <laughs> so that should be that should be a fun one. Also on January 25th is Devon and Chris Plan a Wedding by Chensia C. Higgins. This is a fake relationship romance on reality TV where the couple has to plan their dream wedding in six weeks, but not let their friends and family know that it's not real. And they win money at the end if they do this and make their friends and family think that it's like a real thing. <laughs> they end up falling for each other. And I think one of the people in the relationship has been trying to figure out a way to come out to her mom. And so this is how she's choosing to do it. Last one for January 25th is not romance. Uh, Goliath by Tochi Onyabuchi is a sci-fi novel that sounds really interesting. It says, a primal biblical epic flung into the future, Goliath weaves together disparate narratives, a space dweller looking at New Haven, Connecticut as a chance to reconnect with his spiraling lover, a group of laborers attending to renew the promises of Earth's crumbling cities, a journalist attempting to capture the violence of the streets, a marshal trying to solve a kidnapping into a richly urgent mosaic about race, class, gentrification, and who is allowed to be the hero of any history. and i think this is set in a future where a lot of the wealthy people have colonized another planet and so like who's left behind on earth that's like crumbling and stuff so it sounds it sounds really interesting. i really liked riot baby by him a couple years back so excited to see how this goes. and then two books on february 1st First up is the violence by delilah s dawson this is speculative horror that sounds interesting it says a mysterious plague that causes random bouts of violence is sweeping the nation now three generations of women must navigate their chilling new reality in this moving exploration of identity cycles of abuse and hope and uh i know delilah s dawson has written a lot of star wars books that people have liked a lot i haven't actually read anything by her but i've heard good things so i'm I'm curious about that one. And then lastly, we've got a middle-grade fantasy I'm excited about. This is Amari and the Great Game by B.B. Alston. This is the sequel to Amari and the Knight Brothers, which came out last year and was so good. I really loved this. This one, it says, is Artemis Fowl meets Men in Black in this magical second book in the New York Times and indie best-selling Supernatural Investigations trilogy, perfect for fans of Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky, the Percy Jackson series, and Nevermore. So we've got book two coming out. I know they're kind of throwing everything at you, but seriously, there's a lot happening, but they're The first book was so good.
1: Percy Jackson, Nevermore. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, it's because it's it's like similar to Percy Jackson in that it's like real world, but with this secret magical... but it's not mythology so I mean it's it does include some mythological things but it's basically like all the things are real so there are vampires and there are all like all of all of the things really exist secretly and uh it's fun there you go those are um those are those are the things. And now we're going to talk about trilogy spoilers focused on the Blade of as, <laughs> as, um, as they relate as to... As they relate to the Blade yeah. itself.
1: Yeah. I feel like there's something specific that you're like dying to talk about because you're like, it'll be so hard to talk about this without spoiling the trilogy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know about that specifically. I just think what was really fun for me reading this the second time around and knowing what happens was... Noticing all of the things that I'm like, oh, oh, I mean, and you talked about this earlier, but the first time Logan sees Baez, he's dressed as a butcher. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I mean,
1: he is a butcher in another sense. And well, also, just like all of the conversations that the first time you read it, you're like, "Uh, well, I guess that means something. Mm -hmm. But all the conversations that Baez has with like uh, Yolwe. Mm-hmm. where they're arguing about what to do and whether it's right to do it like mm-hmm. most of it goes over your head because you're like who and the what and the yeah. huh yeah you sided with who and and mm-hmm. what but now when mm-hmm. you go back and you're like you can you it's very clear to you what they're arguing about and it's very clear to you what your way has a problem with mm-hmm. which you just feel like you <laughs> yep
0: well and i think you realize how much logan just like blows right past all the red flags um, even from,
1: well, the, very, from the very blind, beginning, yeah. Fias reminds him, he's like, You wanted not to know. And he's mm-hmm. like, Yep, good point. Just kidding, forget I yeah. asked. Yeah. Well, and even from the beginning, it's funny, like, cause
0: the spirits are the ones that tell him that the wizard is looking for him. And he's like, Cool, I'm gonna go track down this wizard. And the spirits are like, Okay. <laughs> and he's like, Great. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and and, and yeah. I think the spirits even tell him like, but wizards have their own agenda kind of thing. And he's just like, okay, cool. I'm going to go find him.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like, again, a Baez does a good job of slowly giving you a great deal of characterization for Logan because like, it's, it doesn't do this sort of cheap, like he looks like a barbarian on the outside, but he's this mm-hmm. deep soulful introspect Like, no, like he thinks a lot of pretty basic things, mm-hmm. but bias is the one that keeps being surprised by Logan. Yeah. And he keeps commenting on how he's surprised by Logan. Yeah where he's like, you didn't react the way that I expected that you would have. And like, none of us, I don't think, I mean, reading the interaction that they have when Beth comes a knocking, uh, or Beth Odd's son comes a knocking and Logan doesn't really do anything about it. Like you're in Logan's head. So you kind of know what he's thinking about it. And you're like, well, that was, that was a testy little situation. But when bias is like, so I wouldn't have expected, like you're this man of violence and you didn't just like wildly attack. When you saw this guy, you're you clearly think before you act, which is not what I would have expected. And yeah. when he points it out like that, you're like, that's true. That does kind of show that Logan is a higher thinking individual than just like this yeah. barbarian who just like chops people down. Yeah. Well, and I also just
0: think there are interesting things like the first time we're in Giselle's perspective and the first time he sees the king or we see the king with him he notices some. Something... like
1: hugely awkward interaction where he mistakes giselle for his son oh yeah well there there is that which is interesting
0: but i think even before that the first time we just see him like he's not interacting with the king but he sees the king and he notices like that the king doesn't really have that much power that he's kind of managed by other people and it's interesting because i think later he's surprised By his lack of power when he becomes king, and I'm like, you saw, like, you saw
1: what being king was like, and you noticed it, and then throughout the series. Giselle's unearned indignation all of the time about mm-hmm. how he feels he's deserved to be treated, even before royalty becomes a part of it. He just always believes that he is not being treated the way that he deserves. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is hysterical. Yeah, so, Like, ex- exactly why do you deserve this? Yeah. And I believe it's pointed out to him on their little road trip by, like, you know, Logan or Pharaoh, whoever, that, like, what makes you a more valuable member of this team? As far as I can tell, you've contributed nothing. <laughs> so... I mean,
0: yeah. Well, I also think we get, like, signposting. Like, it's interesting the fact that Glockta and Artie will ultimately end up together. Because Glockta thinks about it and he was like, well, that's just the most ridiculous thing that could never happen.
1: But even from the beginning, like, he's, like, she's one of the first slash only people... That when he grins at her, his horrible toothless grin, she doesn't like flinch or look away. She's just like having a conversation with him, and he's like, Well, that's unexpected. Mm -hmm. And I quite like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're like, I like it too. Yeah. I know. know, They're so cute. I like it too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's pretty interesting. And then what's the other thing I noticed? I mean, there's so much of it
1: throughout, but feel like
0: there were a few oh well there's
1: a there was something that i had never noticed before this was my first time noticing Mm it and that's when glockta goes to visit the i forget what they're called but those like old wise people who are working on explosives Mm -hmm. slash the history and he wants to talk to like the historian yeah and this old guy who shows him the book and there's a page missing and it's the page about ptolemy yes and like when when the first time apparently the first four times if you're me you're like yeah yeah i mean you know like this is shady and you know that this is leading to like yeah we know that bias is real and blah 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 mm-hmm. but i just like never really noticed or picked up on the specifically the page about ptolemy is missing
0: i noticed that yeah i was like that's interesting well and then i think there's so many hints towards what happened when they go to the magical place the house of the maker the
1: house of the maker which yep. is also again, there's that's another there's a scene that could in other books like so an author would have this urge to overdo it, you know, mm-hmm. and to like, oh, you have to really th- feel like it's so crazy. Yeah. And it works so much better when they go, oh, they just go in and they're like, Well, that's kind of not normal. Mm-hmm. And they go in and they're like, I don't feel good about this. I don't like how mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. And then the moment when they step outside and Giselle's like, Oh fresh air i like this view this is really nice and he looks over at glockta and glockta is like freaking out and giselle's like what is wrong with you like you can't take the heights and glock is like there were no stairs <laughs> and giselle's like oh my god <laughs> i'm not okay with this either oh that is you're right there wasn't what the fuck what the fuck what the fuck <laughs> Which
0: of course Giselle would not notice. It's like, oh good for sure. like that's like, better. Like, no, this no, no, no,
1: no. Yeah, and
0: then the time works differently. Well, it's funny, I don't think I had
1: put together either. And the time working differently when they step outside and Glock just like worried about it. And Bios was like, when you come in before when you come out before you went in, that's when your mind will when really, We're really <laughs> just like so casual about it, and you're like, ah. <laughs> Well, and I don't,
0: I definitely don't think I put together the first time I read the series that that was where the stuff in the House of the Maker happened, because you don't find, because they go there, and then you don't find out about what actually happened until so far into the series that I never, like, put together that, like, that was the location that all well, those things went down. this is down. also
1: where, like, uh, again, with all the, like, foreshadowing and hinting, mm-hmm. the fact that the first thought, I think it's Glockta, the first thought, because we keep switching perspectives as they all go in. Like that's where like the convergence of the perspectives is is in the house of the maker, because that's what binds them. And, uh, but when, I think it's where in Glockta's head when they first like open the door and the first impression that Glockta has, he comments on like, okay, well, it's not musty the way you'd expect, it's not dusty, but it has the sense of opening like a tomb. Mm -hmm. Baez even says something about like, well, it is a kind of a tomb. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I think there's, there's just a lot of that. I think one other thing that was interesting that I hadn't noticed the first time around because I was just so irritated with them int- introducing the Pharaoh as a perspective. I hadn't put together that she was like a sex slave or a concubine or something of the, like the emperor.
1: I don't think we know that specifically.
0: We do. It's like through, there's like little things that, that do talk about it early on that, because she's she was escaped. She was like a runaway. Yeah. But she she was there's, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it's it's basically that you don't know specifically if she's like a sex slave or a concubine, but something like that basically, where she was and she had run away from the emperor, but that's what she was being used as, which is interesting. Like I had definitely didn't notice that the first time around. Vengeance. Yeah.
1: It's all fair. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, but she's got a complicated backstory and we don't it doesn't focus a lot on it like
1: you have to which is where again I feel like Abercrombie does a good job letting other characters do the work of building the character instead of you know Mm -hmm. having their own internal monologue overdo it on emphasize something so like oh they're so smart or oh they're so broken or whatever it's other characters noticing things so like Just when West, uh, when when they've been stopped. And he's like, oh, why is this my problem? Because Yulwe and and Pharaoh are being detained because they refuse Mm -hmm. to give up, their. she refuses to give up her weapons. And then he shows up and he's like, first he's irritated because he has a headache. And he's like, why is this my problem? And then he's like, well, she doesn't understand what we're saying. She's a woman. They're all pointing spears at her. Like, yeah, I I get why she's hostile. (laughs) I, Yeah. Guys, can, can can you lower can you lower the weapons? Mm-hmm. And they're all like, lower the weapons. It's like I don't think this is a full scale invasion from Gurkle, do you? <laughs> and they're like, mm, okay, no. <laughs> yeah, I think
0: she's much more interesting on a reread because you know why she ends up becoming important. Whereas the first time, I was like,
1: I don't care. Why do I have to be in her perspective? Right now? Well, she also becomes such a fun counter or the interactions between her and Baez are just Mm -hmm. so good. And she's like one of the only people that actually like talks back to him. He's not afraid of him. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and then this too, uh, you kind of mentioned, I don't know. You said something earlier that made me think of it. Well, just to do with uh, Logan's willful blindness and Logan Mm -hmm. just kind of like going along with whatever Baez does. But there is that moment and it's a pretty innocuous moment to have this thought, but the thought itself kind of sticks out when Mm -hmm. you know what comes is when they're at the banquet And they're starting to have this kind of like war of words between the arch lecture and Baez about, you know, they're doing this back and forth about proving whether or not they did the little play. Yeah. The play is the thing, very Hamlet of them. (laughs) And uh, Baez is, you know, you know that scene. And uh, Logan is kind of having trouble following it because they're not speaking his language. He can only catch some parts of it, but he can tell that it's getting kind of testy and he can't really tell who has the upper hand, but he's not sure that it's Baez. And he thinks to himself, well, I've chosen Baez as the one to follow, and it's a little late to be switching sides. So, like, I gotta stick with him for better or for worse. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, yeah, for better or for
0: worse. Worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and what's his name? Um, the guy with Pharaoh. Yolway. Yolway. Yeah. I think his introduction is also just kind of interesting and his interactions with bias take on a lot more well, again, all
1: the conversations that go over your head the first time. Yeah. Like, but when you know where it's going. Right. You they just like they, they have so much more meaning to them. Yeah. yeah. You know exactly what Yul has problem with and why they're arguing. <laughs> yep. And it's also it the more times you read it, the more times you notice how often your self warp pops up because every time a character has two different colored eyes, that's him. He's got Baez's other henchman. He's got Yolwe and Bo- sulfur Oh. Like sulfur is the one that when Giselle has decided he's gonna quit. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to do fencing anymore. Yeah. And sulfur is like, oh no. Oh no, Baez wouldn't like that at all. No, no, you're gonna you're gonna do it. It's fine, it's fine, you're gonna do uh-huh. it. And Giselle's like, Who the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm like, I will not <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He's the yeah. one who also shows up to announce. He's like, well, there was supposed to be, you know, a herald to announce that Bias is coming. I'm yeah. him. I'm the guy here to tell you that Bias is coming. And everyone's like, yeah, the fuck you are.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is it's like, I don't think I've read the whole thing
1: enough to... Well, your sulfur can shape change. And so right. the only thing that doesn't change is that you've got two different color eyes. So then every time a character realizes that whoever they're talking to has two different color eyes, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's your sulfur. That means that whatever's going on right now, bias is behind it.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. It's little stuff like that. Yeah. He's uh he's he's good at this. So all right. I think that's most of what I what I had to say about. <laughs>
1: about all the spoilers it was just also more just fun. like fun watching glock to put the pieces together because you yeah. kind of be like i know i know mm-hmm. and like the the first time you hear the name valentin balk you're like okay but now when you hear the name valentin balk you're like valentin balk ah! <laughs> 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 it's like voldemort oh god yeah
0: yeah I, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how book two goes because this was so much more fun for me on a reread
1: Book two is kind of what really makes me feel like... I mean, there's other things just, like, uh, true about Glockta's character and situation that remind me of Tyrion, but Mm -hmm. specifically, his plotline in Before They Are Hanged is Mm. so reminiscent of Tyrion's plotline in Clash of Kings. Mm. Like, a a lot. (laughs) Is Before They Are Hanged the one where he goes to the other city? Okay. Dagoska. Yes. So, like, him going to Dagoska and having to throw together some kind of a defense of the city because everybody is, like against each other it doesn't hasn't prepared anything yeah. is very reminiscent of Tyrion going in his father's stead to be hand of the king and having to throw together a defensive King's Landing before Stannis comes to attack it's it, and constantly being like not not while like you're trying to figure out a plan to defend the city everyone around you is stabbing each other in the back and trying to stab you in the back and you're like i need that i need to figure it out so y'all can knock it off and i need to defend this city and Glockta and Tyrion are both like in that situation of like y'all stabbing me in the back stop it and we need to defend the city
0: <laughs> right yeah i haven't read oh, it's been so long i have i never did get super far into the game of thrones series maybe one day i'll go back and do that the again. show where the books are both i've never seen the show <laughs> i read like two and a half of the books
1: well this is i mean i'm referring to the the Tyrian spotlight. So.
0: yeah but it's been a long time since i read any of them so yeah vaguely like it sounds vaguely familiar all right well guys we will be back next month to talk more about before they're hanged and uh hope you'll join join us it's definitely been it's been a fun time they're good i mean they're very well executed so there you go so this has been chapter three podcast And we are your hosts, Bethany and Leanna. You can follow us at Chapter3Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find both of us on our individual YouTube channels. All of that is linked either in the show notes or in the video description if you are watching us on YouTube. The next episode will be available in two weeks. I'll be back with Izzy, and I believe for February, we're going to be talking about Black love romance and bringing on some panelists to talk with us, which should be interesting. So tune in for that. We've got Black History Month and like Valentine's Day. So we're just going to like throw it all together in one great episode and bring on some people who have a lot more to say than we do about it. So it should be fun. So join us in two weeks. This episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.